0: We want to discuss Mother's Day for a little bit, if we can, please. I'd like to do that. There's always a danger in um, focusing on Mother's Day or Father's Day. The messages from the Word of God sometimes can be difficult. Or we can get discouraged when we compare ourselves with God's Word and God's standards as, as parents, obviously, particularly I think mothers take this to heart in a stronger way. We say well i wasn 't what I should have been, etc. Uh, uh, with that, I say to you, as mothers and fathers join the club, all of us wish we could go back and correct some of our judgments, behaviors, and decisions. Some of us were first generation Christians in our in our families, and we didn't have Christian examples before us as parents and and so we struggle through, always wanting the best for our children, but not always doing the best as, uh, as we, in turn, learn biblical principles from the Word of God. Some have children that have grown and that have wandered away or rejected God's Word and in, in, in the Lord's teachings. It's hurtful and uh, we take it to heart, we internalize it all, uh, somehow we blame ourselves We're at fault, but I would remind you and remind myself in the process that uh, our children have a free will. When they reach adulthood, they choose their path. They choose what they're going to do. It might not be what we want, but God gives us still time to pray uh, and to watch and to uh, uh, beseech the Lord on behalf of our children that God would work in their souls and their hearts. So we want to talk about Mother's Day if we can. Again, it's a very difficult day. Historically, uh, Mother's Day dates back to uh, pagan deities, all the way back to pagan deities. So I don't think we should necessarily celebrate this day. So I think uh, you can return all the gifts, guys, uh, (laughs) cancel the reservations, and keep the money. Father's Day is okay, but Mother's Day, no, no, you I'm only kidding. Please uh, forgive me for that. I just had to put that in there. <laughs> we know, as uh, fathers, uh, mothers know that their job is a 24-hour-a-day job. It's 24 hours a day. Only on a couple of occasions in my life have I had to step in and be mother and father uh, in 40-plus years of, of marriage for Forget it. Forget it. They still ring in my mind as uh, one of the most horrible days of our life. Why? Because children are 24 hours a day. You can't shut them off. You just can't. I have an example of this. I read this about a mother who was uh, uh, a working mother all day, all night with her children and uh, she sent finally the children to bed and her small son uh, Five minutes later, after being in bed, said, Mom, very sweetly, she said, Yes, honey, I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a glass of water? No, she said you had your chance. Lights are out. Five minutes later, Mom, what? Was the reply. What? I'm thirsty. Can I have a glass of water? I told you no, and if you ask again, I'll have to spank you. Five minutes later, Mom, What? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? (laughs) I thought that was cute, but at the end of the day, when the kids should be in bed, when the kids should be sleeping, when it's time for a mother to now start all the regular things she normally does, it doesn't shut off. It, It just doesn't shut off. I want to look at, if we could, please, uh, God's word speaking about mothers. Now, I know it's kind of difficult. All of us at least had a mother. We may not be mothers, but all of us had a mother. And God speaks about mothers in the scriptures. Now, that's part of the whole counsel of God. So I don't want to focus on just one thing uh, in, in this, but realize it's part of the whole counsel of God. God speaks dearly about mothers. And, of course, he does correct some mothers for wrong uh, type of thinking. So let's look at a couple of mothers if we can, and we'll uh, put this together. Uh, together, Head with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I, bl- I believe a father has a, a tremendous, tremendous responsibility in the household, and I understand that, recognize that, and realize that. But we also must realize that mothers have a tremendous responsibility as well in the lives of their children. And we read this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'd like you to notice verses 5 and 6 for a moment, if we could. 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 and 6. Paul speaking to Timothy. He called Timothy his son in the faith. Look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned love, faith rather, that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, and in thy mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded also in thee, so we have a grandmother, a mother, and then of, of course Timothy, the unfeigned love uh, there was no uh, there was no impostor there, there was no fooling around, there was no putting on a show for anyone. These uh, ladies were ladies of God. now we know nothing about his grandfather he 's not mentioned, we know his father was a a uh, Gentile, he was not a Jew. Uh, so we don't know whether his father was saved or not. Maybe he was a saved man and now he's deceased. It talks about him in the past tense. We do not know that. But what we know this is the grandmother Lois and the mother Eunice were great, great examples to Timothy. How do we know that? Well, head with me to Second Timothy uh, chapter three, second Timothy three. And notice what Paul says about. Uh, Timothy, starting in verse fourteen, Second Timothy three fourteen. Um, well, let's back up if we could, please, uh, in verse twelve. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now that was two thousand years ago. Evil men, seducers, were going to just keep getting worse. Where two thousand years later. And they haven't gotten better, as a matter of fact. They have gotten worse, God's prophecy. But, Timothy, you, Timothy. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That's, first of all, his, his grandmother and his mother, and perhaps his father, if he was on the scene. But his grandmother and his mother, in verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These two women had a profound, a profound uh, influence on the lives of, life of this young man, Timothy. Because God, sovereign over all, God working, but nonetheless, these two ladies had a profound life on this individual. And, and, and of course, we can go down through, we know nothing about Titus's uh, uh, Mother, and you can go look at all Paul's uh helpers as his disciples. We know nothing about their mothers, we don't know if they were saved or not, but we know that a mother does have a profound uh effect on the lives of an individual. Here's another one, Dave read this this morning. Head back with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, this is an incredible, incredible story. You know, Israel was in the promised land and God, God was merciful to them. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, they were in Egypt, and God was merciful to them. They grew there, they, they flourished there, they just, they just became a great, great people within the land of Egypt. And uh, then there arose a Pharaoh in Egypt that knew not Joseph. Can, can, can I mention that for a minute, please? Uh, as an older man now, I have seen this over and over again where, where things are going well and you're flourishing and every, you know, things are going along just right and what happens? There arises a pharaoh that don't remember anything that you've done. Uh, I've been in several workplaces where that has happened to me. A new company would start, someone would come in new and what happened? You're way down the bottom of the list again there arose a Pharaoh in Egypt that knew not Joseph. He couldn't care about Joseph, didn't care about anything the Lord did through him as far as saving the nation. So what did he do? He began to worry about the uh, (coughs) Israeli people. They were flourishing. They were growing. They might overtake us. They might try to conquer us. So what happened? They began to kill those children. An incredible scene. And we won't go back there, but uh, among them was uh, Moses uh, the son of Jochebed. Okay, we'll pick it up in Exodus chapter 2 if we could, please. So instead of allowing the Egyptians to kill her son, she takes her son in verse, chapter 2 and verse 1, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife of uh, the daughters of Levi, and her name was Jochebed. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw him... That he was be- a beautiful child. She hid him three months. There was something about this child that was unique. Now, every mother has the most beautiful child in the world. Every mother does, right? I know that. I don't understand how mothers can love the child. The minute they see this little birth child, like, they look like aliens. And a mother, oh, isn't he beautiful? Isn't she lovely? You know, and, and, uh, But a mother loves their child right from the start, right from the first look at them. Just loves them. And I I, I understand that. Now I recognize that fully as a man. It's hard to see. But yet she saw there was something unique about this child. And it must have been Yahweh God working. Jehovah God working in her soul. Why? And when she could no longer hide him, she kept him in her house... She kept him hidden from the Egyptians when she could no longer hide him. She took him in an ark of bulrushes, dabbed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags of the river. This is the Nile River. Nile River, great fishing, I understand, wonderful to fish in, but there's also a predator in the Nile River called the Nile Crocodile, 14, 16 feet long hundreds of pounds, and they will eat anything, 10 cans, cars, people, anything. They're a vicious, vile individual uh, as far as a monster is concerned. But she just believed God. She put him in this little, she made a little canoe-type thing out of it, and she hid him in the bulrushes of the Nile River. And his sister we know her to be Miriam, and his sister stood afar off to see what was done, what would be done to him. Imagine that, sending the sister to witness what's going to happen. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river. You might ask, what's that all about? Well, this was not a daily bath day. She went down to the river because they worshiped the gods of everything, and particularly the god of the river Nile. That's why when God chastened Pharaoh. What did he do? He turned the Nile into blood. I'm in charge, not you. But there were pools down by the river that she could, they were man-made pools that she could come and bathe and worship the god of the Nile River. And of course, her, her, her assistants were worth her And notice what happened, Uh, and one of the ladies and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside, probably watching for alligators, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. She realized uh, that he was a, a Jewish boy. Then, uh, "...then said her sister unto Pharaoh's daughter," notice, "...shall I go and call to him a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee." So, knowing it was a young child, knowing he needed to be nursed and taken care of, Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, she wanted this child for herself, because remember, he was a remarkable-looking boy... And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go, and I, and the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed him. Just imagine how God put that together. Here is Jochebed now taking her child back. He's been saved from Nile crocodiles. He's been saved Why, in the glory and outstanding will of God. God brought this all together. So she brings the child home, and she's nursing the child and taking care of the child. And we can only conclude she was such a godly woman that she taught the child diligently while she still had him. And what happened, verse 10, and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, or Moshe, Moshe, which means up, out of, brought out of. And particularly it was the, is, uh, the Nile River, of course. And uh, because she had drawn Moses out, she called him Moses. Now, this mother had such a profound, again, a profound... Um, Action in his life that Moses never forgot that. Head with me to Hebrews if you would, Hebrews chapter 11. Again where's the father? Not mentioned we do not know. We do not know. Mentioned at first he was a Levite. Was he killed as they were slaves? Was he killed as they were uh, beaten senselessly? We're in Hebrews chapter 11. Only the mothers mentioned here in the mother's actions. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 now, look at verse 23 if you would. Well, let's pick it up to 24, Hebrews eleven twenty-four. 24. By faith, when he was come of years, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He realized who he was, what he was. He recognized that he was an, a Jew, and he refused to be called. Now, that's unbelievable, isn't it, when you think about it? Think about the privilege this man would have had. Think about the power, the position, the money. Think about everything he would have had as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Incredible, incredible position in life. He said, no. Picking it up in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season or fleeting time. Where do you think he learned that? Where do you think he got that? I have to believe it was on his mother's knee. Again, the father might have been there. We do not know. God doesn't say, but God mentions the mother and mentions her sacrifice. What a self-sacrifice that Moses uh, was ready to take on. Why? I have to believe it's because he... uh, was taught from his mother. What happened in verse 26? Esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater than the riches and treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he uh, endured as seeing him that is invisible. He realized God had a better plan. A better plan. Incredible, incredible thought. There's several women in the scriptures. May I show you a, just a couple more quickly? Head with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. The great prophets of old ran into other women like this. The great prophets of old. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's look at verse uh 2 Kings 4, verses 1 through 7, if we could. 2 Kings 4. Uh, 1 through 7. Again, we're just breaking into... These are just a couple of examples. There are many, many, many examples in the Scriptures. We're in 2 Kings 4, 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take him... Uh, to take unto him my two sons to be slaves. So apparently, uh, the, fathers of this, uh, the father of these children was uh, some kind of assistant, some kind of prophet under Elisha, perhaps of the house of prophets, we do not know. But she says, you know that my husband feared the Lord. He feared the Lord, and he was a godly man. We would call him an Old Testament born-again believer. But what happened is, because the husband died, they ran out of money. Because it was a daily process to just make enough money to live each day. And so, she said, the, the creditor, the, the, the man's coming, the tax collector's coming to take my children and sell them into slavery. Now, they were probably preteens at this time. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house except a pot of oil. A little pot of oil. They used oil for everything, of course. They needed oil. Oil was a precious commodity, essentially. And Elisha said unto her, pick it up in verse 3, Then he said, Go borrow the vessels from all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. Go and ask all your neighbors for some containers. Some kind of container. Not just a couple. You get a bunch of those containers. And what? Verse 4. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out uh, all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she began pouring. You get the picture, pouring water. Pouring more water or oil into these vessels. And the the vessel she's pouring never empties. And all of the vessels she's borrowed are full. And what did she do? She had enough. She had enough money then to sustain herself. But this is a woman of God who trusted God. This is a woman of God that was hopeless and helpless with two little children. And what did she do? She trusted God. Great example of a wonderful mother in the scriptures. One more, if I could, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Another woman, a desperate woman. 1 Kings chapter 17. It's so important that you realize, that I realize, that God will take care of widows and mothers and their children. God says that. Now, they might not always have everything they want, But God will take care of them. That's a promise from the word of God. Think about that. Incredible. It's very difficult. Particularly today, we have so many uh, mothers uh, that uh, the husband isn't around. The husband uh, has died. Single mothers. What a difficult, difficult position to be in. It's so sad and difficult. Remember, God said the man without the woman is incomplete. And then the woman without the man is incomplete. So God lets us know that you need a completed family with children, what? To rear those children, to rear those children. That's why a single mother has a difficult burden on her hands, a difficult time, and, and we pray or should pray for those people. We're in First Kings chapter 17. Let's pick it up, please, in verse 8, if we would. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This is Elijah. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zep- Uh Arise and get thee to Zephyreth, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to sustain thee. Now, what's the big deal here? Well, remember there was a curse upon the land. God had uh, Elijah pronounce that curse. Three years of drought is nothing. Three years of drought. Um, We have a a lawn and we try planting some flowers and I water and nurture their little souls and bodies. Plants don't have souls, but you get the idea. We nurture them. What happens? Several days without rain, no water, dead, all of them. Just dead. Without water, everything dies, including people. Three days without water and you're dead. Incredible when you think about it here we are uh, Elijah now is sent to a widow a widow woman and she's going to take care of you and they're in the beginning of the world's greatest drought. look at verse 10 so he arose and went to Zerath and when he came to the gate of the city behold the widow was there gathering sticks oh what a coincidence not in the mind of the Lord she was there gathering sticks, the little sticks. And he called her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in thy vessel that I may drink. You think What an ignorant man he was. No, God had told him, this is the woman I want you to focus on. This is the woman of faith I want you to see. Picking it up, please. And um, in verse 11, and as she was going to fetch it, she was going to get this guy, some water. And as she was going to fetch it, he said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. So not only does he want water that's almost non existent, but he wants some food that is non existent. And notice in verse 12 And she said, as the, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have no cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel. And a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering sticks that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son. That we may eat it and die. She knew this is it. This is the last meal. This is all I have left. There's famine in the land. No one's going to share with me. No one cares about me. We're just going to eat what's left and then die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not and do as thou hast said. But make it make it, uh, a little cake, make me a little cake first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make for thee and thy sons. Think about that. God is testing this woman. Okay, do what you said, but I want you to go in and first make me a meal. And then you and your sons can eat later on. For thus saith the Lord of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not be used up, neither shall the curse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She had listened to God's word, believed God's word, and then brought him the the meal and the water, and God supernaturally supplied this woman. What did she have to be? She had to be a woman of faith. She had to just believe God. And she did, and God blessed. Amazing, amazing. I try to put myself in that place, except I'm a father. Give me some... guy comes up to me and says, give me the last meal for your children. Really? Let's try that again, sir. You're going to become the last meal for my children. (laughs) But this woman of faith, this woman of great faith understood... And believed God. And God counted that unto her for righteousness sake. She believed God and God richly blessed her. An incredible, incredible thought. Let's look at what the Bible describes as a, a, a virtuous woman. That is a wife, a virtuous wife and mother. Now again, we're, we're giving God's standards and none of us line up with these completely. But God does give standards for men and for women. This is what you should be. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless, uh, non-sinning in any way. No, that's not the case. But he's just simply pointing out this is the standard that ladies should try to achieve and obviously men should try to achieve. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But head with me to Proverbs chapter 31. This is known as the virtuous woman text. The virtuous woman text. And it's not an easy text. We know that. Ladies, you know it's difficult when you read this through. Um, when you see what God's word has to say, it's most difficult. But I want you to see what God points out about the virtuous woman. Look at verses 26, Proverbs 31 26 through 28. She opens her mouth in wisdom. This is a woman who knows God, who loves God, and who wants to honor God. She opens her mouth in wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness she looketh well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness this is a this is a this is a woman who wants to honor the lord with her life is she a perfect woman no not at all but she's a woman that wants to honor the lord with her life I want you to notice something. This is interesting. She's a businesswoman. Look at verse, uh, let's pick it up, please, in verses 14 through 18. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar off. She's out there finding the food that she needs to feed her family. Notice uh, in uh, verse, uh, would I stop? Okay, verse 15 She riseth also while it is yet night and gives food to her household and a portion to her maidens. So she's a businesswoman. uh, She makes sure that all her household is taken care of, everyone, including those that are servants within that household. Continue on, if you could, please. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. She's a businesswoman. She finds a field, she buys it, and plants in that field. You know, today there's a phenomenon out there, and I realize it's a difficult time for everyone, and uh, we're right in the middle of it uh, also ourselves at times here. But there are so many working mothers around, it's just incredible. Why? Because they have to. Our economy is so out of whack, everything's rising. A lot of mothers just have to work. That's all there is to it. But that doesn't mean they're any less of a mother. The trouble is they can now begin the process of failing at being a mother. Why? So they're so inclined to their work. You can't do that. It's very, very difficult. What a balance is that? It's unimaginable. But they have to maintain their first calling in life, and that's their position as a mother. But it's not easy. Everyone knows that. I know there are single fathers around that have to do the same thing. It's not easy. It's difficult at best. But you still have to do it. What's your first priority in life being a father? What's your first priority in life being a mother? Everything else is secondary. Well, you don't understand because I have a career. You're going to have to explain that to the Lord. You're going to have to explain that to the Lord if you sacrifice your children because of your career. Mothers and fathers. You've been called as a husband. You've been called as a mother. That's your first job in life. And by the way, that's the most important job you'll ever have. Everything else is insignificant compared to that. I was really something in the corporate world. Oh, big deal. Look at it. You really want to be something there? You know, Well, I got to preaching, and meddling and stuff. Let's go on a little bit if we can. Okay, notice, she's a trusted woman. This is just an incredible passage. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. A trusted woman by her. Not only that, her husband is uplifted by this woman. Notice in verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land. This, this guy is a high position in Israel. And he is known because of what? How great he is? Well, possibly some of that's there. But how great his wife is. That's what lifts him up. Remember again in Genesis. Without the wife, the husband is incomplete. He's incomplete without the wife. A wonderful, wonderful thought here. Okay, let's, let's continue on a little more. I'm running right out of time. Uh, head with me, please, to the book of First uh, Peter and First Peter chapter 3. Now, if there is still a family unit, uh, the husband is there, and the husband needs to recognize his wife, who she is before the Lord, and what she is as a mother. He needs to recognize that. We're picking up at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, so I'm going to point the husbands for a minute. Wives do this to him. Wake up! He's talking about you now. And First Peter chapter three, look at verse seven. In like manner, in what like manner? Well, you have to go through verses one through six for this. Verses one through six. In like manner, you husbands dwell with them. Who? The wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Ha! Oh, You call my wife weak, she can beat me up anytime she wants. No, that's not the reference here. The reference for weaker here has to do with a precious vessel. A precious vessel. An expensive vessel. The vessel that's worth something. These aren't dishes from Walmart. These are the most precious of, of, of commodity that you could buy. China, fine china. Worth. You don't treat something... That's precious like a piece of junk. And unfortunately, unfortunately some husbands do. It's very, very sad to see that. Remember what God says to men, Christian men in particular? Uh, We could go back to Malachi. I won't have you go there. But God is accusing Israel of of all kinds of sin. And they're saying, why, why, why? Like a bunch of just wimps. Why? Because... You have dealt treacher- treacherously with the wife of thy youth. If you don't think God's looking at your marriage, you don't know what you're talking about. Husbands, if you treat that precious commodity that God has given as your wife, the mother of your children, if you don't treat her right, you're going to be in some great judgment. But what, what about right? What kind of right is that? Well, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's physical. And it's emotional. You've you got to intervene. See, she's not whole without you. You're not whole without her. But you still have the head of the household. Say, well, I've relinquished that to her. Then you're in sin. Then you're in sin. You've got to be the head of your house. That's what's important. You, you need to recognize, treat your wife as a precious vessel. Now, treating her, that's, again, it's spiritually, it's emotionally, and it's physically. Just... Just open the door for her. Open the door. That's not a big deal, you know. Well, you know, my wife's getting in the car, and rain was going on my head. I can't open the door. Rain on your head is a big deal? Go open the door for her. Show her that you care about her. I, I see some of you guys a times. You're driving down the driveway. Your wife's foot is dragging on the... We've we got to go, you know. Listen... She's more important than anything else that you could possibly have on your agenda. Amen. She's more important than that. Just make sure that you're taking care of your wife in every way. A wise woman, the scripture us, will build her house, but a foolish woman will tear it down. You want to help her to be the woman that she can be and will be. According to Proverbs chapter 12, a, a, a gracious woman is a crown on her husband's head, a crown. Isn't that wonderful? It is. And, and they are. A gracious woman. A, a gracious woman retains her honor. A woman of dignity will retain her own honor. We, we need to be uh, ever aware of that. Head with me to Proverbs chapter 18 for a moment. Again, I'm running out of time. We're talking about ladies, mothers, uh, that they teach the children. And you want to make sure, as a husband, that you are helping her, assisting her to do that. And you do that by being the man you should be. Proverbs 18, look at verse 22, if you would, please. Proverbs 18 and verse 22. Whoso, whoever, finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Your wife is a blessing. God gave you that woman as a blessing. Isn't that great? It is great. It's wonderful. Well, you say, well, she's, you know, sometimes she's not always what she should be. Invite me over for a day. Let's check you out a little bit. See what you are. huh? Listen, we're, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We realize that. So perhaps if you were a little better man than you are now, she would be a little better wife than she is now. Huh? Think about that. Listen, I speak from experience. I, I know, I know what it's like to be a, a man, a, a husband, a father. I, re, I realize that. So we, we all go through this. Look at Proverbs 19 and verse 14. You're right there, 19, 14. House and riches are an inheritance of the father's, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. What a great thing. God blessed us with mothers, wives, those that will uh, rear our children, be our, our help, our help meets to us. What a blessed thing that is. Now, there are times, of course, there are times when mothers need to instruct daughters. And we can read that. I won't have you go there, but in Titus chapter 2, here's an older woman teaching younger women. Now, I can teach I can teach ladies, if I was invited to a ladies' Bible study, I could teach ladies what God says about women. I could teach them that. I don't have a problem with that. I could teach them that. But only a woman can teach another woman how to be a woman. You can tell them what God says, but only a woman can do that. And mothers for generations have been doing that. Christian mothers for generations have been showing their wives, I mean their daughters, what a gracious woman is. Well, what about the emotional part of women? There's no such thing. (laughs) There are. Ladies are emotional, but God made them that way. God made them that way. And unfortunately today, there's guys that are more emotional than women. I don't understand it. Do you? I blame it. It was way back when the unisex haircut started, you know. I don't understand what's happening. Some guys, they're more emotional than their wives. No, no, you need to stand up. You need to be a man. Stand like a man, God says. You need to be the man of the house. And that, you're not some cruel, petty dictator. That's not true. If you're that way, God's going to take care of that as well. But just as the man of the house, there are times when, you know, God made women so precious, he made them that way, and and sometimes their emotions can take over, and that's your job. Now, that's your help meet. You're the one that has to kind of steer the river back into the banks. Why? Because God made them emotional, and he made you a man to make sure you're steering the ship. But he also made them emotional so you don't become so crusty and hard-hearted. It's easy to become a crusty person. It took me this long to do it. (laughs) But you have a wife, you have a mother. Why? Because she has the feelings part of it. You have the sense part of it. You know, my my boys fall down all the time. Bash their head, cut their foot, all that stuff. Get up and wipe it off. You'll be all right. You know, that's me. My mother my, my, my mother, my wife would take them and nurture them and, and, and because they needed that. They needed that. Now, if they kept going too long and it wasn't that big a cut, then they needed me to say, stop. Stop. <laughs> but we, we need one another as a team. But a mother is emotional. Why? Because of the circumstances that God has placed within her life. That's her, That's why we are to dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto that precious vessel. Head with me, if you would, to Job, and I'm almost out of time now, Job. And I'm interested in Job chapter 2. Now, to understand this, it would take me a long time to give you the context, but you know the context. Satan has taken almost everything Job had, almost everything, including his health, And it's all part of God's sovereign plan to work this through. But in Job chapter 2, what happens? Well, you take a look at Job, and you take a look at his family, and you take a look at he's lost everything in a matter of a couple hours, it seems like, in the context. Even his own health, there he is standing there filled with boils from head to toe. I've only had one boil in my life, and it was the worst thing I ever experienced. Well, maybe not the worst thing, but you get the picture. Uh, I worked for a machine shop, and back then it was in the early 70s. And this guy would give us newspapers to wipe our hands with. Newspapers. He should have been arrested, that guy. But, uh, get newspapers. So we wipe our hands with newspapers, glad to have a job, just go back to work. $1. forty-two an hour. Just go back to work. And, but somehow the ink got in our skin. And I wasn't the only guy in the shop that had... Uh, problems, but ink got in the skin. I remember I had a boil on my arm. Just the weight of a shirt felt like someone just stabbed me. This guy had boils from head to toe. Pick it up in verse 9. Then his wife said unto him, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. It's a breath of fresh air from Mrs. Job. What's going on? She's lost her children. She's lost her home. She's lost everything she has. And her husband looks like he's at the brink of death. She just, she, her emotions just overcame her. But notice Job steers her back. Steers her back. But he said to, unto her, You're speaking as a, one of the foolish women would speak. And that's not you. You're speaking as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil or, or hard things? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What did he do? He, he brought her back to mid, mid. Why? Because ladies can be overcome with emotions, and it requires that sometimes uh, men have to steer their wife back. Okay, let's think about this. Let's go back into this type of thinking. And there are times when women have to tell their husband, listen, you've got to feel this a little more. You've got to understand what's going on here. So we need to recognize that mothers, mothers are uh, God's provision to propagate the Christian family, to continue on with the Christian family, to keep it it sensible and straight. Uh, Women Paul said, uh, we were as gentle among you. Paul's trying to bring it down to just a face value. We were as gentle among you as a nurse cherishes her children. A, a, a mother with her babies. Gentle, that's what it needs to be. Now, God gives us opportunity. Let's say we haven't done everything right. We need to confess our sin, get it made right with the Lord, uh, work on it with our family. Let's say we haven't done everything right. God gives mothers and, and fathers, kind of a new lease. They're called grandchildren. <laughs> and I wanted to end with this because uh, he gives us an opportunity now to, to pour our lives into grandchildren. And they're that important. I mean, it's just wonderful. I'm a grandfather of, of nine, and I just, I just love them and love it. Why? Well, mostly because the pressure is off. When I was a father of three, you're constantly wearing and everything. You think, oh, I'm going to spoil these kids, send them back to their parents, let them deal with them. But we want to make sure that we're a Christian example to these grandchildren. I have a a thing written by a third grader, and I'll end with this. He writes, a grandmother is a lady who does has no children of her own. She likes people's little boys and girls. A grandfather is a man grandmother. (laughs) Where he got that, I don't know. He goes for walks for little boys, and he uh, talks to them about fishing and stuff like that. Grandmothers don't have anything to do except be there. They are old, so they shouldn't play hard. It's enough if they drive us to the market where the pretend horses, is, and they always have a lot of dimes ready. Or if they take us for walks, they should slow down past things like little pretty uh, leaves and caterpillars. They should never say, hurry up. Grandmothers are out of shape a little. (laughs) But not too out of shape, what, to tie your shoes. They also wear glasses. Grandmothers don't have to be smart. Only answer questions like, why isn't God married? And how come dogs chase cats? Grandmothers don't talk baby talk like the visitors do because it's hard to understand. When they read to us, they don't skip or... They don't mind if we, it, they read the same story over and over again. Everyone should, should have a grandmother, especially if you don't have television. <laughs> because they are the only grown-ups who have time. Isn't that wonderful? It's out of a third grader. So God has given us mothers, and God has given us that wonderful help meet. And we need to realize from God's, this is the whole counsel of God, folks. This is what God says. We don't skip over this and go to the parts we like or skip over this and go to the parts we don't like. This is God's word, and we realize that God gives a high priority and a preciousness to mothers, and especially how husbands treat their wives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for mothers on this wonderful Mother's Day that we can enjoy them, that we can uh, encourage them, that we can uh, lift up our voices thanking you for who they are. Father, we pray that each mother here today, each woman here today, would see the necessity of living that Christ-like life to be an example to others they have such a great, great influence on. Thank you, Father, for your grace to us. We pray for our pastor while he's away, for his... For his wife, Amy, we pray, Lord, on this Mother's Day without her husband as well, that um, you would just bless and encourage her as well. We thank you, Father, for those of us who are grandparents for the second chance to deal with our grandchildren. We thank you for your word, for your direction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.